right. All right. Let's see if I remember how to do this. Do we, uh, do, um, I don't believe I was the host last time. So do you want to intro this? No, no, you have to, man. You have to. I, I don't, I'm, I was used to being the sidekick back then, so I'm not sure. <laughs> no, but you have to, cause you've been, you've been, uh, you've been hosting them. So you have to continue down that path. I wouldn't even know what to say anyway. So. All right. All right. Here goes. I'll try. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closets by Design. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, and that, that is the familiar voice of longtime St. Louis Post-Dispatch sports columnist and really just the voice of sports media in St. Louis, Bernie Miklas. This is a reunion show of the best podcast in baseball. It's the, 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 the duos back together, Bernie. This is great. I cannot tell you how excited I am. No, I'm excited when you you invite you've invited me to do this a, several times, and and uh, I I was like contractually uh, prohibited from doing it, and it's one of those you know radio things when you leave a, a radio station, um, you know you have to basically sit on the sidelines for a specified time, and you really can't do anything in the market that would be deemed uh, competition. So I don't mean to bore people. Uh, with that, but I thought it was important to explain my absence and why I kept telling you, no, buddy, I can't do it yet. Obviously, I'm free to do so now. So I'm, I am <laughs> delighted. And I told you this the other day, and I really mean it. Um, I can't think of a better way to sort of return to the playing field than to do the podcast with you because this podcast was very special to me when you and I started it. We didn't know what we were doing. And it was, it was, it was really one of the, one of the real joys of, uh, of my career towards my, uh, towards the end of my run at the post dispatch. So I, I can't think of a better way to jump back in. So thank you for having me. Oh man, this is, this is great. Can you, can you imagine like, this is the eighth year of this podcast. And Ooh. I think technically it's like the ninth year of its existence, but you know, we had some, uh, well, we had to teach you how to do it, right? I mean, that we were learning this on the fly, just the tech and everything and how to load it. And I remember that we had some nervous times, like, d will it appear on iTunes ever? Is this ever going to, are we just talking to ourselves? Um, it, 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 you know, it's it's been, and now we have a sponsor. And also, I, can I tell you, I'm flattered that like the radio station you work for would consider this competition. I just thought this was a cool hobby. Well, I, you know, I, maybe I could have pushed them on that, but uh, I decided not to, not to, uh, you know, r roil up the water. So I, th I, <laughs> I wanted to play it safe. So Bernie, tell us what you've been up to. Uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, you, you and I would talk a lot in the press box just about how, uh, you know, you, you had, the word virus is real. Um, you can't hold back. Um, you know, there, there's words to come out, there's thoughts to come out, there's opinions to come out. So where, what have you been doing here for several months? Uh, does the term house arrest mean anything to you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, I don't mean to make light of the, the virus. Obviously I don't. In fact, what I'm about to tell you would, you know, reflect that, but it's like, I, uh, I, I wasn't inclined to take any chances by, you know, mingling in public and being very mm -hmm. social and all that stuff. But my wife, Kirsten, has made it very clear that I'm not to leave the house. And it's been, <laughs> except for, she lets me make the occasional run to the grocery store, a small market, and uh, 
uh, maybe run an errand to pick up some new tongs for my uh, my grill or something like that. But other than that, uh, and other than walking around a little bit, I haven't left my house. It's been a very strange life. And part of it is just trying to be careful mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and to avoid risk. And it's been very strange. Uh, what I've done is a lot of reading. Uh, what I've done is immerse myself into the election in the run up to the election. Cause you know that man, I've always loved politics and yeah. it, I've always said uh, it, it's really the greatest sport we have. And e- even um, it's hard to explain that sounds flippant, but I, I think people, if they think about it, uh, they'll know what I'm talking to. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a, well now it's a blood sport. So, you know, we've moved to a higher level there, but I've uh, just, just sort of became a, a biography and politics junkie. And, um, and, and have unplugged. And I think I needed to unplug. Maybe I unplugged a little too much, but, uh, and I apologize for the long answer. Part of it, and we can sort of break this off and then have a separate discussion on it. But part of it is I found Derek and I don't want people to misconstrue this because I love sports and I'm passionate about sports, but this was my first time to truly step away from sports yeah. uh, in, in decades uh, where it wasn't a responsibility, where it wasn't an obligation. And I found that it was okay. I, I, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't locked into sports. I didn't feel the pressure to know everything and read everything and watch everything. I, I, I just kind of, just moved out of that realm for a while. And I think in the overall, in the long term, I think that'll be good for me. I really do. Because now I'm, I'm feeling those stirrings to dive right back in. But I think I needed some time away from sports. Do you think that that was helped along by the fact that sports was at a distance from fans in general? I mean, you know, like there, there was a hollowness to the ballparks or to the hockey rinks or to the basketball arenas that do you think that helped you in that regard? Because if, if sports was happening in a distance place where fans weren't, then, then maybe it was easier not to, you know, like log into it. Yeah. And I think uh, to, to build on your point, uh, part of it was I had the fans experience from the standpoint of, it, it, it was weird. It felt weird. It looked weird. You never knew if it was going to change. You never knew if suddenly the games would stop. You didn't know mm-hmm. how far it would get before everyone said, no, we can't do this. We tried. We can't do this. So it was difficult to even want to make a full investment into it if I didn't have to. Professionally, of course, I would have. But I, I was like a lot of a lot of just fans, just just sort of not knowing what to expect, not really having my heart in it all the way. And even when the games resumed, I, I watched the games, but did it at my own time, maybe not necessarily real time. And, and, or if I read Derek Gould or Rick Hummel and, or Ben Fredrickson in the post-dispatch, I would say, oh, well, that was interesting. That part of the game that I didn't watch live last night, let me go back and find that. And mm. things like that. I was able to cherry pick a little bit, but yeah, I, I, I just didn't feel it, it. I didn't feel the passion. I didn't feel that urgency to really just uh, lock into sports again. And um, it, it, it was very unusual, to say the least. Um, and I, I think that uh, I, I think that now when I reenter, it'll be with a fresh outlook. And uh, I think maybe professional. I use the time professionally to learn some things by listening mm. to a ton of pod- podcasts and 
and reading non-sports things, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, like, like one example, I, I, I listened to a lot of stuff and I thought, you know, what are my bad habits, especially on radio or even writing? I write too long. I talk too long as I'm doing now. Uh, I need to ask shorter questions. I, you know, I listen to like really outstanding podcasts and, you know, the questions are short to the point. I tend to ramble on before I ask the question. I've seen people do that. That irritates me. And I'm like, man, I had no idea I was annoying the hell out of people all these years. So I, I actually took some notes about how I can be better uh, mm. during this next phase. So that was helpful, too. Yeah. D- during that time after spring training, um, when it came to a halt and then we all raced back here and then it was just months and a lot of uncertainty. Um, actually I, I kept a list. I was like, all right, well, I'm just, and I got a stack here too. I just like, I'm just going to throw myself into some of the books that I wish I had read. Some I need to revisit. Some are just on that list of books that you should read and also just take notes and be aware, you know, like jar myself from bad habits of writing. Um, you know, and I always listen to podcast podcasts where my, uh, were my companion on the miles and miles and miles driving around the the central divisions here, um, and then off to Texas, and, and you know I was accompanied by podcasts, and I wish that like that audio storytelling is so compelling. Um, I just wish that you know I could try to learn how to do that better or have the time to do it. Oh, you do it great, and I wanted to say, uh, and not because I'm a guest on your podcast, but because uh, and not because you're a friend. Uh, but, but just because as a consumer, I mean, I appreciated your work before, obviously, but I tell you what, under the circumstances, which don't need to be reiterated here, how challenging they were and how weird they were, you know, I, I, I thought you were at your best and, and really the whole team at the post-dispatch, I, I can't imagine that it was possible for you guys to do a better job than you did given what you had to work with. I mean, I, I really think it was extraordinary. So as a consumer, thank you. As a fan, I say, thank you. Really? Thanks. That, that mean, I mean, I can't tell you how much that means, honestly. And, and you know, because you've been there, I mean, you know, so I, it really, it, that does mean a lot. It was, it was a great learning experience too. And, um, you know, and also, um, you know, to piggyback on what you were talking about, about how you threw yourself into politics and watching the election and everything like that. I became so aware of how different places in the country are responding to the same virus and the levels of, you know, awareness, the levels of protocol, the, the habits, the practices, the policies, all that stuff. I mean, it was, it was eye-opening, um, especially, you know, to, to see how, how different places could be, you know, just down the block from one another. Um, that's know, or, life. That's yeah, life Milwaukee in America. To Minneapolis. Yeah. And, uh, and I got to kind of run my fingers over the map and learn that. And, and I will, I learned a lot. Um, and I don't know necessarily how to put it all to words. Um, but I definitely learned a lot and, you know, and I felt at times completely detached and isolated um, because you know me, I mean, you've been on the road with me, you've covered playoff series. I'm not one to hang around a hotel. I like to get out and, you know, roam and wander and find the local bookstore or find the hidden comic book store, or even just go to a coffee shop and read or, you know, the local brew pub. And I'm, I miss pubs. I miss the conversations of pubs. And so on the road, there were times where you just felt isolated and you know everybody at arm's reach um 
it's just, it was, it was a, it was quite a learning experience. So, um, I'm also offering a filibuster here, but I, I really appreciate your compliment there. Well, believe me, I, uh, I've sent those to you privately, but I wanted to, wanted to say it, uh, you know, wanted to testify in front of an audience of those who are going to be listening to this. The other thing is, uh, since you mentioned your, your travels and your curiosities and one of the things you, uh, you're you're always um, someone who is consumed by covering baseball, but also your family too. But I'm just talking about your job and your 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 work and your family. Okay, aside from those things, which are obviously very important, and and those are the things that where you divest your passion and energy and everything else. Uh, you have some really interesting habits, and I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> In that, in that, I don't, I, I don't know of anyone else in my life that sends postcards. And one of the, one of the real joys, like little joys of this downtime for me, you know, six months basically, is that along the way you sent me, oh, I don't know, three or four, maybe five postcards. Yeah. And every time one would show up, I would rush to get my reading glasses and read them. And also the way you put, you know, you, you sort of put care and thought into it. Like you sent me one of the old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. Oh, you yeah, that's one, a beautiful yeah. one. Yeah. You sent me one of William S. Burroughs, which I actually posted <laughs> on Twitter because yeah. you and I had had conversations about uh, his book word virus. Cause we both agreed that we both had, uh, had a word virus. So, uh, no, uh, they, they were all, they were all just delightful. And so, uh, why, what is, I have a question to ask you, and I don't think anyone's asked you this on the best podcast in baseball, but how, how is it that what could be a little bit of a lost American tradition, you know, why are you the postcard guy? And I say that with love. I'm not making fun of you. I love it. But why are you the postcard guy? Why, why do you feel that this was a, a cool thing to do or a kind thing to do? I will um, think of a short answer for that. While I tell people <laughs> the, uh, I, I do have an answer. I really do. Um, I'll tell people about our sponsor. And this is like a terrible tease. But I, I will have an answer for that. Go for um, it. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design specializes in custom closets, pantries, laundry rooms, garages, and more. Now get 40% off plus an additional 15% off closets by design. 314-733-9855. 314-733-9855. Closets by design, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball, which is thrilled to have Bernie Miklas back. Um, you said you're a guest. I, I think this is, you know, just occasional co-host. We'll just do that. It's just been a okay. few years, but recurring co-host, you know, okay. it's, uh, it's all right. Um, yeah. So short answer to your question. Uh, my mom is an exceptional letter writer, has always been my entire life, has been an exceptional letter writer. She will send clippings. She will send me funny cartoons that she clips. She does this even though, you know, when when we lived states away, when we lived in different time zones um, and now we live 30 minutes away and she still does it. And she does that for everybody. And she will just if she thinks of you, will jot a note on a nearby post-it note and drop it in the mail. And. I, so that was the, that's my, I mean, she's my hero in a lot of ways and that's just part of who she is. Um, and that's somewhat what I was like in, in college, I would write letters to friends. Um, you know, I'll date myself a little bit. It wasn't like you thought first to drop an email to somebody and you definitely didn't text them. Um, because when I was in school there at Mizzou, but I would write letters and I would write some long letters. I wrote long letters to the woman I eventually married. And 
I was back in Colorado talking with some friends and I'm like, why don't I do that anymore? Um, and I tried to write letters. I tried, um, but I would throw them away because in today's world, it's like almost a little bit forced intimacy a little bit, right? Like you're throwing a letter in their face and saying, Hey, read this. Oh, and by the way, it comes along with that tag along guilt of should I respond? Right. That seemed like, <laughs> that seemed like too much. Right. Um, and so I would always wimp out and not mail them or wonder, um, you know, why, uh, why I couldn't mail them or if anybody would be interested in getting a letter at all, you know, and then I would just resort to an email or a text or just not even reach out at all. Well, um, sort of sorting through that, I was like, okay, I need to be better at letter writing. Well, I'm not going to, well, I write publicly, right? I every, I mean, I write for the newspaper. Um, what is more public as far as a letter goes than a postcard? And so I, in 2017, I set out to send one postcard every day, at least one. And, and I would collect addresses. I would find addresses. I would mail them to old addresses. I would just try to figure out. And, and if, and I thought, you know what, if somebody doesn't want a postcard from me, then they throw it away. If they use it as a coaster, fine, you know, but maybe, maybe someone's happy to hear from it because who gets mail anymore, right? And right. so that's where it started, and it hasn't stopped since. Well, I, I've always appreciated that about you, but especially during this odd time in my life, being at home and being sort of uh, detached from um, society in a way, it sounds dramatic, yeah. but I was, because as you know, I wasn't even on uh, Twitter all that much, especially talking yeah. about sports here and there. Um, so no, to get those things, it was a really, really cool personal touch, and it meant a lot, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I mean, this year I've really, I've done it more. I've done at least one every day. Actually, I've done at least two every day. And I think, what are we in? We're about, what, 60 days left in the year. So about 305 day 305. I think I've sent 700 postcards already this season. Holy cow. I'm on your real. Yeah. Amazing. I'm, uh, I, you know, you're welcome, you United States Postal Service. I'm doing my best. I'm trying to buy a lot of stamps, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been, I mean, I enjoy it. I enjoy it and I, I collect little ones. And I think, uh, I think, you know, there's been trends that have come up, um, you know, like I'll send a bookstore postcards to one friend and I think I've sent you some football ones. I know that, uh, yes. you know, our good, our good friend Vahe Gregorian gets uh, Spider-Man postcards from me and, you know, different things along those lines. I, I have a couple of friends who are, are into birds. So every time, so I was driving through Arkansas a couple of weeks ago and I stopped at a gas station and they had bird postcards for the state bird of Arkansas. I'm like, oh, I'll send that to my friends who like birds. So, you know, it's been fun. So, which well done is a really nice segue to talk about the birds. <laughs> um, what, what did you, what, how much did you digest about the Cardinals and, you know, did you, did you, what did you think of their season? Well, I, to, uh, to go back a moment, you know, I, uh, of course I followed the Cardinals, maybe not with uh, as, as close an eye as I had in the past where I was, you know, completely all in on it, like every single moment just about, but, um, I, I was, uh, <laughs> my sport became the, uh, the upcoming presidential election. So, and, and other races. And I was thinking, uh, one night being silly and I'm sort of not answering your question, but I will in a second. I was sitting around one night, uh, being silly and realized how 
how far gone I was as far as uh, just uh, being completely obsessed with this, right? So I started to think like, well, what? maybe I should come up with a system that matches the two things I love, you know, uh, baseball and politics uh, and other things, but for now, uh, given the time, the calendar. And I said, well, what about votes above replacement? Is there a way to actually, (laughs) (laughs) is there actually a way, like you look at a candidate, even in a congressional district, and it's just like, well, Given that it was a, a majority area of the opposite party, say he was a Republican or she was a Republican and was running in a pretty heavy Democrat district and didn't win, didn't win the election, but actually did better than expected, you know, and w- performed very, very well. So is there a thing maybe the Nate Silvers of the world should put together called votes above replacement? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's how far gone my mind was. Anyway, I'm having some fun with that. Also making fun of myself. Uh, <laughs> I I thought the Cardinals uh, season was anything you wanted it to be as far as interpreting it. And uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 I I had great admiration for that team in terms of way the way they persevered through obvious obstacles, challenges, setbacks. Uh, you know, sitting around for weeks and not playing a game and and having injury issues. And for them to make the playoffs, I, I thought was more than fine. I thought it was commendable. And yet, as you have found out, I'm telling you, it's kind of funny that I would even mention this to you because you you catch a lot of heat for things that really don't make sense. Like it's <laughs> like, you're, like you're running the team or something. Anyway, no one would um, want that. Yet there was this, uh, I found that the little, I haven't dabbled much on uh, in sports on Twitter, for example, but when I did uh, one time I said, Hey, I really respect this team for what they, they did pushing through getting to the playoffs. I, I think nothing but respect for that. And of course there was tremendous blowback and pushback. And, you know, I guess I was, uh, accused as usual of, of, uh, you know, accepting money from the team or something. I, and so, um, it, 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 I then became a spectator of public opinion in that I thought, you know, this team is actually whatever uh, people want it to be based on their built-in prism of, of where they feel about certain things, whether it be Bill DeWitt, the payroll, John Mazalak, Mike Schilt, whatever it may be. And mm-hmm. it was just interesting just to see these wide variants of, of uh, commentary and, and interpretations of the kind of season they had. And I, I guess I push back against that from the standpoint, and you know where I'm coming from. I don't have to pick one or the other. I don't have to say it was all or nothing. I don't have to say it was black or white and nothing in between. There were some things that you really admire about the team, especially its resolve, mm-hmm. uh, the way that uh, they play defense. Uh, uh, I, I admired uh, their even something that got overlooked, I, I know you brought it up a lot. Uh, even with the with the dearth of slugging, you know they got on base at a good rate. Um, yeah. There were there were some things to really like about the team. Um, I don't believe that you just throw everything out because ultimately they didn't get out of the first round, or ultimately they were a terrible slugging team. I, I just don't believe you say the thing was a disaster, it was a bust, fire everybody sell the team. You know, I don't, I don't get that. On the other hand, I don't get, I don't really get into the Pollyanna stuff either, where, 
you know, you make a, we all make a bunch of excuses and we try to rationalize everything. No, they they have a serious problem evaluating outfield talent and they have a serious problem uh, finding people who can hit doubles and triples and home runs. And that's very, very frustrating. Both, you know, both things can be true, Derek, right? Both mm-hmm. things can be true. But yeah. in, in our culture, and which is here we go again with politics, which is totally brought back into focus again about the polarization in our nation. It, it's like that among Cardinals fans too. deeply polarized fan base, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And, and one of the things I actually was talking with somebody on Twitter about this, too. And and I felt like I mean, Twitter, you know, isn't exactly the best place to have a nuanced conversation because you're, you're limited right. in character. So you're blunt. Right. And I and I get that, that sometimes it comes across as terse. Um, and I was trying not to be that way, but, you know, make the point that like, you know, someone was asking me if the fan frustration is at an all time high. I'm like, no, it, this is, it's just constantly building because if somebody has a frustration, they seek out the information, whether it's true or not to feed that frustration. And therefore it just grows as opposed to seeking out information that might counteract that frustration. And one easy example of that is like, well, the Cardinals don't spend, they never spend on free agents. And it's like, well, three years ago, was it three years ago, four years ago, they spent more on free agent than any other team, but it's that they didn't spend on Harper and they didn't spend on Machado. And so you can pick either side of that. Like you said, both can coexist, right? They can both spend more on free agents than any other team in one market and then take a hit from fans saying, well, you never spend on free agents when really it's like, we didn't spend on the free agents we wanted or the ones that produced. And so the question isn't if you look at the information and not just feed on the frustration, it's not that they don't spend, it's what they spend it on. Right. That's where the criticism is. And that's always been my thing. People would do, uh, uh, who thankfully uh, listened to my radio show, that was an ongoing theme with me that I probably uh, hammered on too much. But uh, for this uh, kind of simplistic view, in my opinion anyway, of like spend more, spend more, spend more, spend more. But then when we evaluate some of their roster issues the last couple of years, you, you can put near the top of the list, if not the top of the list, that one of their problems is, uh, the money that they did spend it wasn't spent particularly well, or in a lot of cases, spent poorly, and it created log jams that uh, perhaps prohibited or at least curtailed additional spending. So I would always say, and I still do, it's like, well, wait a minute. You, we're, you look at the numbers, you look at the salaries, you look at the production of some of their investments. It hasn't worked out all that great, and so now you want them to spend more. I. It, I, I I never was able to make that connection. How it made sense? Uh, they they need to do a better job of evaluating talent, whether it be spending, whether it be the choice of outfielders, uh, whether it be uh, knowing when to move a, a pitcher up. And they've done pretty well, damn well, with pitching. Um, and all of this comes under one umbrella. I, you know, I've never believed that you say, well, free agency is in this bucket. Or mm. deciding which outfielder trade that's in this basket. No, it all comes under this. We're under one tent of personnel evaluation. So, just spending takes you back to one of the things you criticize people that do uh, spend more. Go get this guy. Do this. Do that. Spend. 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 
No, that, that actually takes you back to where you started, personnel evaluation. How can you be confident that, that a good decision will be made? So uh, it's a very, and I'm, go, I'm going back to what I said, you know, five minutes ago or so. It's, it's really difficult to analyze the season they had and where they are because this is such a bizarre time. And also because they're a team that's in between. And I do think that uh, uh, being in between can be okay, especially if you make the playoffs. But they're head, they're headed for some. What are they headed for, Derek? Give me a metaphor. They're are they they're heading for some very rough water. I don't know what they're heading for because there's uh they've got a lot of challenges, including the uncertainty some, of knowing what their rap- rapids. Yeah, they, including knowing what their revenue is going to be. So yeah, a it, blocking it, curve. Yeah, it's uh it's 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 very uh, interesting, and I I think personally it it really um. It defies uh, simple answers. It defies simple solutions. It defies yeah. uh, barroom talk that we all like to do. You know, tap room talk. Like, well, they got to do this, 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 that. Okay, well, how many people are going to be in the stands next year? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, games you know, are what, what's our revenue level going to be like? What? I, it's not. It's just not that easy to draw these simple conclusions. And I, I have no problem admitting that that it, this is a time of confusion. They need to get better. We can all agree on that. One of the things when we started this podcast was an attempt to have the conversations that were not having on radio or that were not that, that were not taking place on Barstool because we could have the time to explore that and and in that kind of theme Bernie, I want I want to like maybe um, play a game of operation with that notion of identifying talent. Because like you said, like they, they, their player personnel evaluation, is that where the, where the issue is? I've tried to pick at this a little bit because I wonder if they're okay at evaluating talent, it's maximizing it or getting it out of players at the major league level that is lacking. Like, what is it that was missing, you know, when Marcelo Zuna was here? Is it simply health? Was it simply that the two months that where everybody was in quarantine allowed that shoulder to heal and that allowed him to really mash for 60 games and that the Cardinals could never do that because they needed him for 162. Is that simply what it is? Or is there something that they need to learn from Azuna that is also applicable to Rosarena? Why didn't that talent manifest in the major league level with the Cardinals? What weren't they doing? And I keep going back to this comment that they made after, um, you know, firing John Mabry. You know, they said one of their concerns was that they weren't getting the expected production from the players that they acquired. That to me says, all right, well, we identified this level of talent from this person, but what they're not getting is a, you know, the the uh, amplification of that or the unlocking of it when they turn to it. And there's, there's a lot of examples of that. Yes, I agree. Um, I don't know what to say. Not that you, you, you raise great uh, perspective on this and, 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 and a reason to think hard about certain things. And I agree with that part uh, totally in that. Um, why didn't it, I don't want to repeat what you just said, but why didn't it work out better for Azuna here? What, what led them to, uh, what or led Grichik. them to, yeah, or Grichik, or or, or to uh, to move uh, Rosarena. Who I will say this though, I, I'm I'm going to de- I'm going to detour for for a second. Sure. 
I, I thought that he was in, he was incredible during the postseason, but I'm also um, wary of uh, limited samples. I mean, I you know 100 at bats or so. I, I think we can say right now it looks it looks bad for the Cardinals, but let let's I, I think we need more time to before we make a firm judgment about and and people are going to hate me for saying that, and that's okay because I I kind of hate myself for saying that because I always was a proponent of a Rosarina and I I thought. He, when they brought him up, he should have played a hell of a lot more than he did. That's my regret that they mm-hmm. really didn't give him a chance. It isn't that they moved him; they moved him after they didn't give him a chance. Right. Um, and that that bo- that's the part of it that bothers me the most that they never gave him an opportunity that they gave to others. So, however, a lot of this has to do with what, what they have in Matthew Libertor. If I'm mispronouncing that, I forget how to say his name. I've been away a while. Anyway, <laughs> no, you, um, you nailed it. You nailed it. We we can have we can keep the door open a bit on this. I, I'm not ready to like lock that gate and say, "Yep, failure, boom, lock the gate." I'm not ready to do that, and I know that frustrates people. But um, is this where we sort of get into the Jeff Albert thing? I I was excited. I'm not going to be a phony. I was excited when they hired him. I thought it's exactly what they needed. It was in line with their sort sort of forward thinking plan and have uniformity in their system where everyone is uh, using the same methods, learning the same things, teaching the same things, using the same technologies. It, it, to me, it made a lot of sense, but I also think it's fair to say it ain't working out so far. What, which, what's your take on this? And I know you've talked about this a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it does. I think it does. It's not just Jeff Albert, though, because he's not determining the playing time. I mean, to, right. to ignore, you know, the, the, the old thing. I mean, you were there. One of the, one of the days, that, you know, they're like these seminal days when you cover a team for as long as you did and for now as long as I have, that you're like, okay, this is something to remember because it can be applied year to year to year. I mean, you think back to, I think it was 2008, um, and, you know, where – John Mozeliak was putting Anthony Reyes on the team, right? He's going to be on the roster. And Tony La Russa said, that's fine. He controls the roster. I control how it's used. I'm. He may just sit out there. And Mozeliak has to be comfortable with that, right? I always, that always you know, rang in my ear, especially then years later where you saw Colton Wong all of a sudden not playing and Mark Ellis playing a whole bunch, right? As they right. search for more office offense, trying to get more offense, trying to get more offense. And Matheny leaned on the veteran as opposed to the young player. And the, and the front office was like, well, wait, if he's not going to play, then he's not going to, why is he here? We don't want, we, this is too much of a talent to have him just sit there and rust. If you're not going to play him. So they took him away and, and Colton Wong, you know, took the, took the demotion for a team that was struggling overall, not necessarily for something he was doing, but you know, he wasn't going to play in the front office. So I always kind of keep that in mind that like, you know, Randy Rosarena was on the, was on the roster. He was available and, you know, he, and there was an opening because Lane Thomas was going to play a bunch. And that's something that Mike Schilt has talked about is that Lane Thomas was on the cusp of being there, you know, if not their named starter, then certainly getting the abundance of at bats there during that playoff stretch as their center fielder. And then he got hurt. And rather than then go, okay, well, let's see what a Rosarania can do because he's hit constantly at AAA. They went back to Harrison Bader for a good stretch. 
so what was that decision like? Where, where And I think that that is the crux of it. And Jeff Elbert's not involved in that decision. It's Schilt. It's the front office. It's this notion that there is playing time available. There's a guy who has hit a triple A. Now, are they not comfortable with him defensively? Now, that's part that is part of this. They, you know, Bader is an elite center fielder and they're thought, well, if we're not going to get offense, we need to definitely double down on defense there. And Rosarena is not the same fielder that Bader was. That said, I do think that there are playing time is a big part of it, huge chunk of it. Prepping, that- prepping players for that playing time is where Albert comes in. And I, I wonder if, you know, just the changes that he made this year after what he learned in 2019, where it was like, okay, there needs to be, you have to change your message for the type of learner you have, right? Like a great teacher, a great teacher knows like, this is an audio learner. This is a visual learner. This is a kinetic learner. Well, hitters are the same way. This is a video learner. This is a cage learner. This is a conversation learner. This is a guy who can handle the analytics and a gush of them. This is a guy who doesn't want to hear about any of them, but needs to. So how do I change that message? And I I think that this was supposed to be the big year for Albert to make that evolution to having the same approach, but offering it in different packages to fit different hitters and different styles and different learning types. And there just wasn't the games to pull that off. There wasn't the time together. And I think that's a fair, uh, fair look at it and a very informative look at it. I, I don't know what, what the answer is uh, in terms of playing time because I would might be naive. I am naive because I'm one of these guys that just says, "Look, play your best players. Uh, ignore yeah. what they're ignore what they're being paid. Just just ignore it." Hmm. Uh, and that's a simplistic, naive view because that's not the way it works. Although it's interesting, and I hate to bring football into the discussion, and may, maybe this is apple and oranges. It's 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 very interesting to me. Baseball teams, a lot of them are really hung up on this. Well, we gave this kind of money to Matt Carpenter, or we gave this kind of money to Dexter Fowler, so they're going to play. You know, period. They're going to play. Although, you know, Schilt got away from Carpenter for, for sure at times. Yeah. Um, but I, but I've always been intrigued by that attitude. Where you look at the NFL, for example, and again, apples and oranges. I get it. But if a Joe Flacco who's being paid a ton uh, is clearly in decline and he's not he's not really making your team better and you have a young guy, oh, his name is Lamar Jackson. He's on you know, he's on the bench. You like him. He's a prospect. You say, no, we're going to put we're going to bench Joe Flacco. He's not playing anymore, period. This guy's this guy will make us better now and he will make us better in the future. That happens in the NFL, for example, all of the time. And I don't know why baseball teams get hung up on that so much. And the Cardinals are in that group. And I'm not they saying sh- it's an absolute it's not an absolute thing. Uh, they, yeah, they've modified here and there, but go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Oh no, I, I I find it interesting because it does seem like they do it with position players more than pitchers. Like we see yeah. pitchers moved around no matter what they make. I mean, how many times have you seen a, a, I mean, you know, it's more likely that a high priced pitcher who is struggling gets moved to the injured list than it is right. continue to get starts. And yet position players don't, I found that part. I find that interesting. The, the teams make that choice, right? Like, I mean, they move pitchers more readily than position players. 
I wonder how much of that is them hoping that they prove themselves right, like that this investment. And also it speaks to the change in baseball, right? And you, you, we all kind of lived through this. There was a time in baseball where people were paid for past performance. They became free agents. They could command a high price, partially in because of the saves they had, right? Or the years that they had before. Um, and now teams are wisely paying for future performance. Well, how they do that is they project what that future performance is going to look like. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that, well, that's what that guy's going to produce. That's what our numbers say. That's what the algorithms suggest. And that's what we paid for. So we're going to give him the playing time to get there. And man, are we going to look smart at the end? And instead, it just creates this uh, this crater. I, I think it's a real delicate thing for, for baseball teams with position players. And I do wonder why why they are swifter to move on. Well, I don't wonder why. I know why. Because pitching is out there every moment touching the baseball. Versus... You know, and so it's harder to ignore when a veteran who makes a lot of money is struggling when he touches the baseball every play versus a right fielder or a third baseman who might have four at bats and no play in the field. And it's a little bit easier to say, well, he's going to get better tomorrow. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of jumping ahead because this is sure. all con- this is all related, of course. And then you have the Colton Wong decision, which I've I've not commented on at all, even when it happened. And. It was a head scratcher to me. And again, you know how my brain works, Derek. In fact, on this mm-hmm. podcast, you've been reminded how it works. I look at everything. I look at I look at everything from all sides. I don't just jump to a conclusion. I, I want to try to say, okay, well, why were they doing this? Why did they do this? What what were they seeing? What were they thinking? And then the opposite, like, well, does this make sense? And uh, I still am wrestling with that. Um, and you know, you can probably fill in some of the blanks for me, Bernie, the fan, uh, just as you have for some other fans, because uh, I get I get the revenue uncertainty. I get the fact that there is a massive amount of revenue lost because for obvious reasons during this past season, no one's in the stands and there weren't the really limited number of games. I get all that. And I get that they're going to have a, in their mind, a payroll squeeze, but Here's here, and this is where I, I'm, I'm going to come down on this, and then I want you to educate me, if you will, or agree, or whatever you want to do, man. Um, that's why we have a good baseball discussion. Number, here's the thing: I get the payroll crunch or the revenue, the revenue suppression, and the uncertainty. I get it, but on the other hand, we were talking about picking up, retaining Colton Wong on a one-year deal. It's mm-hmm. not like they had to negotiate a whole new contract with him. And by the way, I guess technically they still could. They were going to just absorb his salary for one more season, $12.25 million, I believe. Um, all right. I, I get it that he's nearing or he's at age 30. Okay. But, but my answer to that would be, well, one year. It's only one year. It's not a long-term commitment if you're worried about age. Number two, he certainly seems athletically viable and fresh and got every all of his Athletic skills intact. There's been no sign of decline, I don't think. Uh, because you have a dearth of slugging and you have a hard time scoring runs and muscling muscling for runs, um, you have to rely, as you wrote about the other day, I love that piece about run prevention, you, you have to rely on offensively, well, we need guys who are going to get on base. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. going to be the key so we can fix this other thing. Especially we need, we're going to thrive on, on base percentage. That's got to be our way right now. Well, 
I think he's about a 350 on base percentage the last couple of years, something like that. I could be Not off yet. a bit, but but he, but he's a good on base guy, and mm-hmm. he, he is he is without question the best second baseman defensively in baseball, and a big part of your your winning formula is run prevention. So why wouldn't you stick with that for another year when he's still viable? He gives you on base percentage. He, he's he's a defensive. He's a magnificent player defensively. You're still going to have to rely on run prevention. I that one to me would have been worth the uh, one more year, Colton Wong. That's just my opinion. My view of this is that it's not Colton Wong in a vacuum. That any other year. Um, this is exactly the kind of contract the Cardinals wanted and the player that they wanted, the homegrown guy that they committed to, and this would just be seeing out the end of a contract that they were thrilled to have, just like you know Paul DeYoung has a kind of contract, right? It's less uh, money, but you know they're, they're happy to have it because homegrown guy plays a key position for them, um, and that any other year it would be a no-brainer. I think there's something more to it than just the – loss of finances. I think there is strategy. I think they're playing the market. And I think they see, well, I know they see that Colton Wong in the open market is not going to get $12.5 million for 2021. Now, he might get more guaranteed than $12.5 million, right? Uh, overall, three years, four years, whatever the contract is, is going to be worth more than $12.5 million. But that he's not going to get a $12.5 million salary for an uncertain season in a chilly market that they can now contribute to by increasing the supply beyond the demand. Um, look at look at some of the second basemen who are available. You know, I mean, Hernandez, LeMahieu, um, you know, some of the shortstops that are going to move to second base. You know, there's a lot out there. And, you know, I mean, do you, do you think that some of them could be had for $5 million AAV? Probably, you know, five million for twenty twenty one with some back end loaded. Probably, I mean, Lemayhu, no, but you know, that's not the area where Wong is going to be. And so, I think there was a really calculated strategy here that is twelve and a half million for that player makes sense when a market is going to crater, and that kind of player with the new math of reduced revenue an increased supply of players like him is actually going to calculate it out to something far, far smaller than 12 and a half million. Well, it's an interesting strategy and I'm, I'm obviously I'm, I'm open-minded to it uh, because it really depends on what they come out of the winter with right. uh, and, and what that looks like, you know, so there's still obviously room for them to, to, to go to plan B or to come up with a plan B or pursue a plan B. So we'll see what happens. But um I, I just wonder whether this, at least for one year, that's something that they'll wind up regretting. Um, but I, look, that's why I asked you. I wanted you to enlighten me. Yeah. There's obviously some things we have to think about rather than just his on-base percentage, excuse me, percentage, his speed and his defense. And the yeah. fact that he's, he's been a, a, a really good Cardinal, a loyal Cardinal and all that, which actually is something that they've put a premium on in the past. So I don't know. These are, you know what I said like a while back? It's, it's so hard to actually define this team and to just sort of come up with snap answers. Yeah. Uh, it, it, there's so much blurriness to all of this because of the pandemic and what we don't know, what we're all in store. We don't know what we're all in store for as a country. Or as or as sports leagues, as far as 
the, the, the carryover effect of this pandemic, which is raging anew, and what things may look like in the spring. You know, we, nobody knows. So I, we yeah. have a bad idea. Actually, we have a bad idea what it's going to look like. Oh, but right. but right. you know what I'm saying in terms of what it means, what it means in terms of fans coming into ballparks again. But you also touched on something that I wanted to ask you about uh, the Cardinals in general. You know, one of the words that Mike Schill talked a lot about was anchor. What do they anchor to? What are they anchor to? And he's talking about traits and styles of play and everything like that. But you, I mean, you kind of hinted it, hinted at it. There is this notion that, like, what are the Cardinals? You know, they're yes, they're a run prevention team, but are they Yadier Molina's team? Not if he doesn't come back. Are they Paul Goldschmidt's team? Well, he's relatively new here. Um, you know, but, but he can't carry a lineup on his own. Um, are they Jack Flaherty's team? You know, is that is that who they're going to be? Because he might be a free agent in a few years. And at, do you get the sense? As you, you know, you know, a year ago, you're you're doing your radio show and you're commenting on the Cardinals and they're back in the playoffs or this year as they go through the shortened. Do you do you think they're in a bit of a an identity crisis where they may not have that anchor player, that anchor personality that enlivens a fan base or enlivens a team? And instead, they've just become, you know, the the brand you know they're they're the james bond franchise they're always good but the actor kind of changes man that's a great question uh well first of all if just from a um just, in, the, just, in that metaphor real quick sure Pujols is sean connery and paul goldschmidt <laughs> is daniel craig and then the cast of thousands are like the george lazenby's and you know roger moore so okay just no wait a minute analogy I think you're underrating Roger Moore a little bit myself. That's just me. But <laughs> I mean, a view to the kill very was wonderful. Very dismissive and, of Roger, Roger Moore there. <laughs> well, maybe maybe he's Carlos Beltran, you know, the guy who comes in, you know, carries him for a little bit and gets him to the next guy. Okay. I'll buy that one. I'll accept that one. Um, that makes Marcelo Zuna Pierce Brosnan, who came in with a whole lot of hype and then didn't deliver. <laughs> And I was all up for that, by the way. I thought I was one of the people buying into the hype. I was I was uh, stunned that that was so flat and didn't work the way any anything near what we all thought it would work. So yeah, I'm with you on that too. Good uh, good good bond opinions here. Good bond uh, <laughs> on saber metrics. But anyway, the uh, like like you mentioned Molina, and with that you have to mention Wainwright, of course. And then here sure. we go again with this murkiness. Um, this blurriness and it's not quite as crystal clear as of a decision as, as it would seem, you know, th those two are precious commodities. They're precious personalities. They are franchise legends already. Both of them Cardinals hall of famers. Uh, Molina will be a baseball hall of famer. Wainwright will be go down as one of the greatest starting pitchers. Well, he already is one of the greatest starting yeah. pitchers in, the, in their history. But what do you do? I mean, what do you do? Do you do you bring them back because do you do it because of performance? Do you do it because of status and, and their standing in this community and, and with this fan base? Or do you do it as a combination of both? I, th th that question is out there on the table for people to answer because it's it, it really does take in two things. Um you you also have to factor in you know will Molina continue to to decline offensively, and 
how many more catchers are you going to block? And again, that sounds cold, but I'm just dealing with pragmatics here. Wainwright has uh, defied most expectations, including mine, and seems to be a really valuable piece of your rotation, especially with, with some uncertainty in the wings. But what do you do? How much do you invest? Uh, how far do you go? Um, and how much do you factor in that your fan base, which, but again, it, you and I are not scientists about this. We don't know how the overall fan base feels. We, we right. know how the, tw the Twitter fan base feels on a lot of things, and I'm not knocking them either. I mean, it, that's what Twitter's there for, for people to vent and express themselves, good or bad. But if you're Bill DeWitt and John Mosaic, how do you factor in maybe you are going to have the ballpark open at some point next season? And if people, if your fan base is restless right now, they're not going to be real happy if Molina and Wainwright go away. I mean, I, I think there will be a backlash. Uh, maybe um, uh, I, I think the backlash will go as far as next year's team goes in terms of if you have a great team without them and you're scoring a bunch of runs and your young pitching's coming through and the, the kid behind the plate's doing a good job. Well, people will still be sad that they're there, but it can be mitigated. But if you put a, a, a mediocre or just slightly above average team on the field next year and you're having problems behind the plate and your rotation's tattered and those two guys are, are performing for someone else, that backlash will only intensify. I, and I think that that's something you factor in. As far as the identity, I don't know what their identity is. That's a great question. I know their identity will be damaged if those two guys leave and they don't fill the void on the field and the void, if you will, at the box office. Um, but it was a pitching and defense team. It was a run prevention team. And it was, I liked that. I, yeah, I wanted more slugging. I wanted, I thought they could do better in evaluating some of the offensive pieces they had. But I love the fact that this was a team built on run prevention as a, as a way to overcome other weaknesses. Mm -hmm. That's to their, that's to their credit, but I don't know that they can continue as you wrote about the other day. I don't know that this can continue uh, to the extent that it has the, the high level that it has. Yeah. So they are a blur, man. Everything is a blur to me right now. And not just because I've been, under house arrest for six months. <laughs> I wonder if the Cardinals have to rethink their their brand a little bit because you know they are they're they're a team that says, all right, we're going to rely on our history, trust in our fan base and its love of our history, and count on us to contend. And to be honest, that's a that's a leap of faith for fans to make that they are going to invest in a team knowing that at the end of the year, it's going to be rewarded with a championship level contender. And I think increasingly, and yeah, it's loudest on Twitter, but you also see it in the stands. I mean, they had a playoff game that wasn't a sellout for the first time. I, I think we, we see some fans who adore teams in hindsight once they know how good it is and that that is going to cause a problem for the Cardinals because then they're only going to, you know, if they get to the NLCS or if they win a pennant or they get to the World Series in 2022, then fans will talk glowingly about the 2022 season in 2023. Whereas if you have a star or a team that is charismatic or somebody to kind of hook on to, and that can be Molina, that can be Wainwright, all of that stuff, right? Somebody to draw them to the park, that can certainly be Jack Flaherty. 
then you have the excitement throughout a season and the destination isn't what makes people go look back fondly on a season it's the it's the it's the star that makes a current season enjoyable i mean we have an extreme example of that in fernando tatis right how much fun did padres fans have this past season a lot right and didn't matter where it ended correct no doubt no doubt and- and I wonder if that's where the Cardinals have to kind of modernize a little bit. I mean, maybe I'm way off. Maybe I'm off. But I just think that they, the, the way they're built right now is to be appreciated in hindsight. And that could cause a problem if you're trying to sell tickets in the present. Let me ask you this question. And anyway, great points there, by the way. Let me ask you this question. This has been an, a rabid, uh, passionate, passionately loyal baseball market. And it's also... It's not just baseball. Let's face it, going to games at Bush Stadium in the spring, summer, early fall is also a, a, a tremendous social activity, a custom in St. Louis. People just love to go to the ballpark. It's a social gathering as well. Um, and and that's uh, that's important to remember. It, it isn't just like, well, I really want to watch baseball. It's why I want to go to Bush Stadium and watch baseball. I want to hang yeah. out with people. I want, I, want to, I want to drink beer. I want to see old friends. I, I want to gather at one of those places and just hang out and just – just be part of a crowd, be part of a, a, a gathering. I, I think that's really special in St. Louis. I'm not saying it's more special than other places, but I'm just saying, having been here now, you know, for 40, 40, more than 40 years, it, 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 I know that that's a big part of the fabric, the, the, yeah. the, social, the social aspect of it, the community aspect of it. Um, so, but without having baseball, without ha- having a stadium to go to, without having that experience, with adjusting uh, to, to life's realities, m- m- much of that reality being unpleasant, um, do you get that back? Do things immediately pick back up where they you left off in better times, happier times uh. in, in America, in, in our community? I mean, the natural assumption is that when the sports when sports came back, that it would be a national bomb. It would take our mind off the pandemic. It would give us something to smile about. It would give us something to divert our attention with happy thoughts, pleasant thoughts, a reminder of the way things were and will be again very soon. And yet, and yet there was a disconnect. And just because people weren't in the ballpark, that's a big, that's obviously a huge factor, but TV ratings. And I know TV ratings is a Pandora's box and there aren't, there aren't simple answers to that either, as many would have you believe. But when baseball did come back there, it was kind of like a, Man, I don't want to be unfair about this. I don't want to mischaracterize it. It was just kind of flat. It, it wasn't this national bomb that we hoped it would be. It, yeah. it, it, it was sort of off to the side just a little bit. Um, so I, I'm not sure what to expect going forward. I think that's a great point, Bernie. Well, we are coming to the end of our conversation here. We used to shoot for about an hour, like a yeah, workout level sure. and everything like that. So I thought we'd close with a staple of what Bernie Miklas brought each week to the post dispatch and do some Bernie bits. We good with that. Let's uh, get your <laughs> quick it. opinion on all the things that uh, happened here during, uh, during your house arrest that you haven't had a chance to riff on, but we'll kind of speed through them. Are you a proponent of the DH in the national league? Yes. Have been for a long time. Uh, that makes me the antichrist, but yes. <laughs> okay. And you, and you do you think it's here to stay? Uh, I would hope so. I, 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 off the top of my head, I would say yes. All right. 
Are you, would you like to see the schedule rearranged a little bit to also feature some of these geographic things that we saw this year? Yes, I, I actually enjoyed that. Um, I, I think that proximity is a good thing. Yeah. Um, uh, Midwest identity is a good thing. Uh, it, it just sort of raises the stakes a little bit. I, I like it. Yeah, I, I I liked it more than I thought. The fact that like you had the White Sox and uh, and the Twins, and obviously now with the White Sox on the schedule, the more the merrier. Which brings us to Tony La Russa, back in the saddle. Um, you know, obviously has some controversy this week. A second DUI um, arrest. Um, the arrest was taken. Uh, I'm sorry, the charges were filed on the eve of him being announced as the White Sox manager. Um, so we'll see how that sorts out. Were you surprised that? Tony was back in the dugout or plans to be back in the dugout? I, I wasn't totally surprised. It didn't like catch me off guard only because staying in touch with Tony and people who know him, I, that itch is back. It was back. Oh my God. And it was he, fierce. He, I know. And he, he told me last winter um, that he had a chance to manage someone and, and decided it wasn't the right time. Right. So I'm thinking, it, it, you know, he's age 75-ish then. And I'm thinking, well, it, it, that flame hasn't gone out. Um, you know, I, I went on a lot of Chicago radio stations, which I was allowed to do when, it, when his name surfaced as the top candidate. And I tried to give him something to think about. I, I think with TLR age, you don't really apply standard age to him. Uh, and I'm not saying maybe he hasn't lost a, a little zip off his fastball, so to speak, but this guy is a tireless guy, incredible intensity, filled with energy. He's been around ballparks. He's, he's been around baseball operations since he left the Cardinals. He has stayed within the game's flow, except just not on the field. I wouldn't underestimate him. And I, one thing I really think people should be careful about is assuming that the game's passed him by or that he can't relate to young players or any of that stuff. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't think that that's, that's not something I'm going to automatically rubber stamp and say, yeah, you guys are probably right. Cause he wants to win. And one thing, Derek, yep. we learned about Tony LaRusa, you know, all of us, Rick Hummel would say the same thing is that whenever Tony did run into a problem, say with player relations, he always fixed them. And it didn't matter if the players were young. It didn't matter if they were older, if he thought he had a problem, he, he always adjusted and made it better. And so I don't think he'll he'll lose that ability. If anything, I think he'll realize it's more important than ever to be able to have that ability to adjust in terms of the personal dynamics, the, the clubhouse relations. I got a big kick out of going on Chicago stations or talking to Chicago reporters, and they would ask me, like, well, how's he going to feel about the bat flips? There's a lot of charisma on that team with the bat flips and everything <laughs> like that. I'm like, did you guys miss the Albert Pujols years? Where you, I mean, was like, you know, I remember some pretty epic bat flips by Albert Pujols that, you know, that Tony didn't mind at all because, you know what? He won. That's why you do them. And Jim Edmonds, Jim Edmonds, too. You know, oh, Jim Edmonds, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not, Everybody wasn't Scott Rowland dropping the bat down at the plate after hitting a home run. No, <laughs> no, I, I think he's definitely adjusted to that. Yeah, which absolutely. Doesn't mean, which doesn't mean he won't instigate something here and there, but uh, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I, just in terms of an entertainment spectacle and a study of can, can a guy be what he was 10 years ago, 12, 15 years ago? I, I, man, if anybody can defy the sort of these age guardrails we put up as a, as a culture, it would be this guy. 
Yeah, and we should not, you know, gloss over the fact that I mean the White Sox and Major League Baseball do have a a, a big question facing them. With, yes, uh, with a second charge here of DUI, and yes, they, they cannot move over that without some kind of um, stance. I mean, it's just it, it, this; it has to be directly addressed. Um, the the White Sox have to explain themselves, and Major League Baseball probably should recognize that if it's going to dabble in suspensions and fines for a lot of different things, that this is one that it needs to explore. Right. Um, No doubt about it. There's some uh, questions that have to be answered, and we'll see what happens there. Big fan of the expanded playoffs, Bernie, were you? Oh, man, I I don't have a good answer, but I'll say yes. It's actually better than I thought it would be, and I liked it more than I thought I would. I don't know that you need to go forward with it, Mm-hmm. But I but I liked it actually. The more the merrier, which I know violates the uh, the baseball Amish tenets. But yeah, uh, but I I'm okay with it. I th- I think it it really created a lot of excitement in a lot of different places. So I think it was good for the game. And I think going forward, I, baseball needs to look out for okay, what's good for the game as far as excitement and enthusiasm. Not not to the point where you make the sport unrecognizable, but by adding a couple of playoff teams, it's not that big of a deal. What about a neutral site World Series? I don't like that actually. I, I, you know, why? Because I covered too many Super Bowls, mm. and it, it just—it's not the same as covering a World Series in two different towns, where those communities have something in, incredibly powerful invested in it emotionally, um, in terms of tradition families i mean it's it that is a powerful thing and it it makes one it's one of the great things about sports when the tribes uh get a chance to uh support their team as they're fighting for a championship and you you know going back and forth to two places it's fascinating i love that stuff you go to super bowl it's a game but it's also uh antiseptic it's sterilized it's it's a bunch of corporate people sitting in there people with connections. It's just, it doesn't have the same feel. You go to, I covered NBA finals for a long time. Same thing going back and forth, tremendous color, tre- tremendous energy. Mm-hmm. I, I think you go neutral site. It, it just sort of re- reduces it to this. Uh, I'm talking about the setting, you know, kind of this, yeah. just ge- a, a generic sports contest. Now look what the way it worked out this year was fine. And and I have no no problems, obviously, with the, what they did this year. But I'm just saying, going forward, I'd rather see the old way. The Los Angeles Dodgers. Did you? What was your thought about them? And and is this the beginning of the dynasty or an end? Oh, I think it's it, it's just um, it's another step in the dynasty. I I with their resources, but yeah. also their their ability to evaluate personnel and do it in the draft where a lot of teams bypass some of the Dodgers now, now of whom are some of the Dodgers best players, cornerstone players. It isn't just that they have this massive fortune to spend. It's just that they're just about smarter than everybody else. So no, they'll, they'll always find a way. They're so damn smart. They'll always find a way to replenish whatever they lose going forward. That was, I, uh, not to quote myself, not to quote myself. I called them the monster Moneyball never intended. That's right. I love that. I, I mean, love I, that. It's that's what they become. All right. Do you stick with Snell or do you stick with the numbers in Game um, Six? Oh man, you're Kevin Cash. You're going out there to the mound. You dog. 
<laughs> no, um, in that's in that specific situation, I would have stayed with Snow. Yeah. And I, and I and I'm not one of these people, you know, uh, I, who dis- disparages uh, analytics and all that. As you know, and as everybody who knows me knows. In fact, I uh, was a little bit ahead of the curve media wise on that stuff. I, I believe in it, but there are yeah. always exceptions. There's no one way. And he was dealing. He was confident. He looked fresh. His pitch count was reasonable. I don't know. I just think that's one time you make an exception. That's just. I understand the third third time through the lineup thing. Believe me, I do. But he looked good. He looked great. So just keep keep rolling with him, and have your bullpen ready in case he runs into some real trouble. Yeah, if you trust your bullpen, then maybe that makes a little bit easier decision. Like that 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 was the part that got me was right. like it also shows faith in your bullpen that it can get out of trouble if that starter gets into it. So, yeah. All right, last one. And I asked this knowing that it's hard to answer in a short answer in hopes that the short answer teases your return at another time to the best podcast in baseball to explore this notion. Do you think that Cardinal fans can stomach a rebuild? And is it time? Um, Well, the answer is they're going to have to if that's what the Cardinals decide to do. And... Um, the short answer would be, I'll spare everyone of the lecture about what a great, great, great run this has been, and in some ways underappreciated. Um, it's been re- remarkable, actually. And but but all things at some point you have to recognize you, you have to go in a different direction, and maybe it's going to mean some pain. If if they're going to get to that point soon, then you're going to have to do what you have to do. I'd rather have that than them straddling the line between. Uh, average and below average, and maybe you have a winning season. Maybe you sneak into. I, I don't know. I, I, I'd rather have them not toe that line. Uh, I'd rather have them just just replant seeds. That's just that's just me. Get off the fence and commit to one side being greener. Yeah, something like that, right? And I know, yeah. and I don't know how fans feel, but I would say this: fans can feel whatever they want. They spend the money and they they get the cable systems and the cable packages and direct TV and all that. Yeah, um, it's, not, it's not up for for me to tell them how to feel, but I, I, I'd be a little bummed out if the Cardinals have to sort of rebuild, um, not tanking rebuild, but just rebuild, and people just will immediately forget about the the, the, the all that's happened since 1996 when when Dewitt and his partners took over. Bernie, all that's happened since. 2015 2014 and i'm so glad to have you back here oh man i loved it this has been a delight to have you back on the podcast to have a conversation with you to talk ball like we used to do in the press box that was that was really what the genesis of this podcast was not just our fascination with a new way to to reach out to readers and listeners and and new ways to tell old stories um, but to put a microphone in front of the conversations you and I and Rick Hummel and the late Joe Strauss were, were having in the ballpark because that was missing this year, man. Six feet of distance from everybody with a mask, sometimes in different press boxes. Um, I I missed baseball writers, and I got to see some of them, and it was so, so wonderful to see some friends at the World Series. Um, and And this, even though we're at a distance here at our home's, in St. Louis and we're not recording this like we used to in your attic office or 
you know, or, or I'm having somebody over in my treehouse office that, you know, just to be able to talk with you again has been great. Thank you very much. Well, no, thank you for extending the offer. As you can tell, I really enjoyed it, savored the chance to actually talk to another human being besides my wife's <laughs> wife. So this was, this was actually really good. <laughs> my mental health has improved because of it. So thank you. Yeah, you can find the Cardinals coverage at STL today and in the pages of the St. Louis Post Dispatch. You can follow Bernie on Twitter. Are you going to be on Twitter much, Bernie? Oh yeah, once I return to work and things like that. Uh, yeah, at Miklas, my last name M I K L A S Z, and I'll also get my Instagram running a little bit. I have an Instagram account, but I haven't wow. done anything with it. So, um, and I'll be look. I'll be returning to work soon. I can't talk about it yet, but there'll be some, look for some announcements, so to speak. In, in the coming days or the next couple of weeks, something like that. So not even like a the next couple of weeks. So almost kind of like a scoop at the end of B, a tease at the end of BPIB. Yeah. I'll, I'll have, see, I'm trying to be cagey. I'll love, yeah, yeah, I have, I'll have some things to announce shortly. We, that's what <laughs> should we, should we watch Instagram for the announcement or Twitter? Maybe Twitter. Okay. Twitter. Twitter. Or, or, or I may have to defer to, uh, my future employers. Who knows? Maybe oh. it's up to maybe it's up to them to make the announcement. Fantastic! All right, well, Bernie, or actually, or actually yeah, maybe it's up to Dan Caesar to make the announcement. <laughs> <laughs> my you, buddy. Can, you can find Dan Caesar's coverage of that uh, of that St. Louis quaking <laughs> event at stltoday.com. That's also where you can find a bunch of podcasts. Dave Matter and Ben Fredrickson have a Mizzou podcast. Jeff Gordon, Jim Thomas, That's and great. Tom Timmerman have a Blues podcast. Those podcasts, along with the best podcasts in baseball, are all available at iTunes. Let me tell folks about our sponsor one last time. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closets, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN, 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N, 1-800-BY-DESIGN, Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball, which was founded and started at Bernie Miklas's house by the two of us. And this has been just a <laughs> ideal reunion. Um, you named the podcast. You gave me the, the chance to keep the name of the podcast and I'm forever appreciative of it, but not as much as I am appreciative of your mentorship and friendship and how you continue to push me to get better. It's it's one of the, one of the real highlights of my job is every so often I get to dig into the history of the team and up pops a familiar name, whether it's Rick or Joe's or yours. Then I get to relive some of the stories that we did. And um, I got to be honest, Bernie, covering the World Series this year and seeing what some of our fellow baseball writers were doing um, there for their teams, I was reminded of how much fun and just the sheer quality i think we did a lot of things that we could be proud of um covering those playoff teams no doubt 04 to 06 and onward and that's that's the thing look and i know we're going long here but i wanted to add this that's the thing that i miss the most people will say well you left the post dispatch and i don't it's one of those things where it's not like i'm gonna beat myself up for doing it and and again i i, I always will love the post dispatch and i just wanted a new challenge which is a cliche but let me tell you this the thing that I underestimated, which was kind of stupid, actually, it isn't the platform. It isn't like having power in the market. It wasn't that at all. What, what I missed, and I didn't know how much I would miss it, was the camaraderie with you and Jim Thomas. And when Jeremy Rutherford was covering the blues 
and Tom Timmerman and Kamish Hummel and Stu Durando. And I don't want to leave anybody out. I probably have. Uh, and I, the only reason I didn't mention Ben Fred and Ben Hawk is because, of, of course, they weren't there at that time. But just missing those days and, and just like you said, the camaraderie part of a press box is it's our little secret. It's one of the things we love the most. We cherish the most where some of the great memories are made. So I really, really have missed that. Uh, like you would not imagine, actually, uh, because where I worked before, it's just radio is a whole different culture, which is fine. Everyone's entitled to have their natural world order of things in terms of a, of a, of a culture. But I really miss the culture I grew up in. And so this is another way of saying when you were just talking a minute ago, I wish you could see the smile on my face, my friend. You made me happy. Thank you. Of course, of course. Well, no, you have an open invitation here. Always, There's always a, a seat uh, at a socially acceptable distance for, for you to be part of the best podcast in baseball. Love you, Derek. Thank you. Thank you, Bernie. For the best podcast in baseball and soon-to-be-revealed new voice of St. Louis somewhere, Bernie Miklas, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Talk to you soon. So we did break news on this. The biggest free agent acquisition of the winter in St. Louis will be Bernie Miklas, right? <laughs> um, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it.